Welcome to the Natural Wisdom Podcast. I'm Christine Backus. Thank you so much for listening. And I'm excited to have Emily Trinkus here today with me. And I was looking back and Emily, I don't think you've been on the podcast since December, which seems like a super long time ago. But thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure. It's always fun to talk with you, Christine. Yeah, and I'm not, uh, I'm not sure that we have an exact topic today, but there, because we're right in the right smack in the middle of eclipse season, we'll talk a little bit about the eclipses, what they are, why they matter, um, and kind of what we can expect. And then I know one of my themes today will again be power and control because Pluto, the planet of power, is very involved in what's going on with the eclipses. So with that, um, and also, actually, let's just start with quick announcements. Emily, you have a class coming up that starts this Friday, and I would love for you to just say a few words about that now, and then maybe we'll do a reminder at the end, too. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm super excited. This is going to be my first time teaching Sinistry, um, which is the art of chart comparison. And this is for more, you know, at least intermediate students of astrology or advanced students of astrology, um, because you really need to understand a birth chart before you can understand how two charts interact. But um, I have a lot of issues with how uh, relationship astrology is talked about in the mainstream. Things like, what sign should I be with? Or should I be with this person? You know, so that is absolutely not my approach to relationship astrology. We are not machines. This is not mechanistic. There is nobody you should or should not be with. It's about what do you want to experience? And also, you know, one of the things that I really focus in on, um, thanks to my learning from Jan Spiller, is a lot involving karmic connections between people, past life contracts, how to heal them, um, and so that looks a lot at the North and South node and how those um, how those show up in chart comparisons. So I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be very hands-on and a lot of practice charts. And, um, and I'm excited that you're gonna be in there, Christine. I think we'll have a really good time. I am really excited I'm gonna be in there too because it's been coming up a lot. And I completely agree with you about how synastry is normally taught and how people look at charts. And so I'm excited about your take on it. And actually, maybe this is, maybe we can use, well, I don't know. Sorry, you might want to make another announcement first, but I was thinking, you know, this whole thing about karmic relationships can be a good entry into eclipses and the nodes because there's a lot of that stirring, but I don't, but if you need to make some announcements first. Yeah, let me make a quick announcement and then I could, I'd love to come back to this because it is a perfect entry into what's going on. Um, I've got a class on May 5th at 2 p.m. Mountain Time. It's just a workshop. I was thinking it'd be an hour. It's probably going to be closer to two hours. And it's on the nodes, the lunar nodes, which are, is the eclipse axis for people that don't know. Uh, it's more geared towards sort of a broader audience. And my um, my intention with this this course is to talk or this workshop is to talk about the transitions of the nodes, especially this year, which happens in July, so meaning the transition of where the eclipses happen in the zodiac, and take a quick look back at where they've been the last few years and kind of where they're going, because it's, as you point out, it's it 
speaks a lot to the kind of collective karma that's up for all of us. And I just want to do an exploration of that. And so I will have the link for both your class and my class in the notes. And Emily's class starts Friday. Uh, today's April 25th. So that's April 28th. Yeah, April 28th. <laughs> yeah, and I'll just, I, I want to mention too, I haven't even put this out there yet. I haven't opened up registration yet, but just to plant a seed, um, Jupiter is moving into Taurus on May 16th, and I'm going to teach a class that day, Tuesday, May 16th. And this will be open to people at Perfect. all levels of astrology to talk about what can we expect and how to work with Jupiter, the planet of abundance and um doors opening and expansion which will be in Taurus for the next year starting May 16th so perfect that okay well. that's great I'm glad you're doing that that'll be fun mm -hmm. I as people probably know I well you've taught about uh Saturn into Pisces too and I we both taught about Saturn into Pisces but that's kind of the third big planetary shift for the year is the Jupiter into Taurus. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to this, um, this question of lunar nodes, eclipse axis and relationships and karma, because I think, yeah, let's, uh, and go ahead. Cause you had some things you wanted to say and let's just go dive in and we'll, we'll use that as our doorway. Yeah. So we've had the South node, which represents the karmic past in Scorpio for almost a year and a half. Do you have a uh, hand in your mind when when the nodes first January. entered? January. January. January of 2022. Yeah. Right. Okay. So the South node in Scorpio. And Scorpio, the sign of intimacy, sexuality, deep emotional bonding, soulmate relationships. And then the nodes are going to shift, as Christine mentioned, in July, the South node is going to go into Libra, sign of partnership. Um, uh, love relationships. So the fact that for about a three-year period, we have the South Node in the two signs that are the most connected with relationship. So to me, this says, okay, there's a lot stirring here in terms of um, uh, relationships in the karmic past and maybe people we have these soul contracts with coming back into our life for karmic clearing, for healing. And then we mentioned eclipses as well. Eclipses correlate to the nodes. So we've had over the past almost year and a half, we've had eclipses in the signs Taurus and Scorpio. And now we're shifting to Aries and Libra. So again, this, this highlighting of um, these relationship signs. And it, often with eclipses, and, and this very much ties in with the nodes because the nodes have a lot to do with important people coming in and out of our lives. And as the eclipses activate the nodes, these are times when either we meet, you know, have these sort of faded or destined connections with people and start new relationships, but also a big time for ending relationships. And eclipses are so literal. This is one of the fun things about being an astrologer during eclipse season. It's not subtle. The astrology is not subtle. Like eclipses will crank up the volume on whatever is happening already astrologically. And so, you know, I, I've talked to people who, uh, once they hear about this 19 year cycle of eclipses, like, oh my God, I got married 19 years ago and now I'm getting divorced. You know, it could be like so literal with these 19 year chapters. 
Um, and of course, it depends on how personal an eclipse is for you. Um, sometimes an eclipse season will be a complete game changer if it's activating your chart in a very personal way. For example, if you have a birthday that's on a solar eclipse, that's a life changer or within one day of a solar eclipse. And sometimes it's not as big of a deal, but it's always um, a charged time. It's always a time when things pop and when there's a lot of emotional intensity. And I think especially, I don't know if we want to get into these specific eclipses, but uh, the, the next eclipse coming up, uh, the second of the season is very powerful on that emotional level. Yeah, I definitely want to get into um, the kind of the current time and what's going on with the current eclipses. One of the things I wanted to mention first is that what's interesting to me is that last year we had Saturn squaring the eclipses. So Saturn, planet of karma, right? Um, Saturn really kind of showing the where the most the naughtiest karma is the way I think of it, where the tightest knot is, where the tightest energy containment is. And so karma, uh, Saturn squaring the nodes as it did last year had, I think a lot of us felt like we were at this faded turning point. And I know culturally, I thought about that as well, that we were really in this sort of um, I don't, I don't hes hesitate to say conflict, but like polarity between fear and love and what, and making decisions based on what we didn't want versus based on decisions based on what we did want fear, Scorpio, love and pleasure and kind of life itself, Taurus. And this year, one of the things that I find so interesting is that the in a way, I think of Pluto as a higher octave of Saturn in some ways, because so many of Pluto's meanings come from what Saturn used to be about power and um, shadows and more fear, except for a little bit deeper fear. And so once again, we sort of have this choice point with these eclipses on, are we going to are we going to go for the conscious expression of these energies or are we going to stay stuck in fear mode? Mm -hmm. I, don't, I thought that might be an interesting thing to kind of explore for a moment too. Yeah. And, and, and maybe starting with Pluto now being in Aquarius and, and in a square to the North node in Taurus and South node in Scorpio and you know Pluto just moved into Aquarius on March 23rd and this is a very new energy that none of us have lived through before and I know for myself I'm I'm moving slowly with it like I'm I'm really taking time to feel into it um because it's it it feels very different there's something different happening energetically and I think part of it you know thinking about Aquarius as the sign of the future and the sign of humanity, and Pluto, the planet of deep transformation, death and rebirth. So we know this is a transformation of humanity. Um, and what direction, you know, and, and, and uh, uh, I feel like there's a lot of evolutionary pressure. I mean, always Pluto is about the pressure to evolve, right? And the, and the, um, uh, the soul's evolution and where, where are our souls being under pressure to evolve now. And so I think this is a big push into a new form of being human, a new expression of humanity to create this new future. 
And we have the very shadow side of that, which would be the transhumanist agenda and merging humans with machines. Oh, humans aren't, aren't, aren't good enough as they are. We need to be augmented with AI and computer technology, wah, wah, wah. But to me, the higher expression or the higher potential here is about really waking up to our inherent technology. And even thinking about, and this was an insight, I just interviewed um, the astrologer Jamie Goldstein for my podcast. And we talked a lot about Pluto and Aquarius and just talking with her um, gave me great insights. And I think that that was very Aquarian, right? Aquarius is about teamwork and friends and you know bouncing ideas off of each other. But what came to my mind is how Pluto in the, the planetary chakra system that I work with, Pluto is the earth chakra and Pluto is the underworld, right? right. So that's deep earth, deep earth. And Aquarius is an air sign and it's the last of the air signs and it could be very detached and, you know, um, sort of space age and out there and galactic and higher mind, you know, but to me, this is really speaking to the transformation of humanity through that deep earth connection and that deep deepening into our bodies and this opportunity to bring that more celestial, high vibe Aquarian out there, cosmic energy, really to root that into the deep earth and starting with deep in our bodies. So really embodying and bringing down to earth these bigger cosmic forces or cosmic energy. That's the future that I want to see. Um, and then in terms of Pluto in a square to the north and south node, yeah, I think it, I mean, there's certainly an echo of Saturn in Aquarius squaring the nodes, as you said, from last year. And so it's like, if we're stuck in that south node in Scorpio, there's certainly the fear, but there, there's also the the trauma of the past, right? With, with Scorpio being a, a signature of trauma and abuse and destruction. Um, and we're so geared toward, or we're so conditioned to see the future Aquarius as apocalyptic, as kind of shadow, shadow Scorpio, right? Every, every movie out there damn it <laughs> almost every movie out there it's a dystopian future and it's like the road or the you know mad max scenario or whatever there's so many i can't and i i know there are some positive visions of the future in media out there but i can't even think of that you know they're so few and far between so I, I think there's a lot here about breaking out of that conditioned response to thinking that our future has to go in this one direction of death and destruction versus the Taurus. Taurus is life. It's Taurus is fertility. Taurus is that energy of spring and fullness and the beauty of nature and the abundance of nature and creation energy, building energy. So can we imagine that we can actually create something new and beautiful and life-affirming versus this future that's inevitably going in that in that um, apocalyptic direction. And to say too, in terms of Pluto and Aquarius, Aquarius as an air sign, this is our minds. And this is the collective mind, right? And, and I think part of the, the evolutionary pressure here of Pluto and Aquarius is to really, in terms of power, you know, as you mentioned, Pluto is about power, like the power of our minds and the power of our intention and purging right? Pluto, the letting go to grow, the what, what do we need to shed, like purging the old ways of using our minds where we get stuck in these 
and sort of the the group think or well everyone else everyone else's mind is geared in this direction so i guess I'll, I'll just be pulled along versus really knowing our power to direct our attention and intention toward life and growth and beauty and wholeness and this you know new earth vision yeah and i think that that's beautifully said and I, and to me it really comes down to us making our own personal choices. There's a wonderful quote by Carl Jung who talks about the individual as who makes history because it's the changes within each of us as individual humans that then kind of collect together, right? Collectively, and then create the change in the new history in the world. And that's, I think, part of what we're dealing with maybe with all eclipses, but certainly with, with where we are now and certainly with Pluto and Aquarius. And Saturn, one of the things that came up while you were talking is for me is that Saturn just left two and a half years in Aquarius. So we've had Saturn sort of crystallizing a lot of these Aquarian issues. What does it mean to be human? What's our relationship with technology? what's our relationship between the individual and the collective. And now Saturn has moved into Pisces. So you have the planet of reality and manifestation in the sign of dreams and imagination. And I think that makes it even more important to, to really focus on dreaming the future we want, right? That's the, that's the power of Saturn and Pisces while all of this is going on. Yes, and 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 Saturn Saturn's placement is especially important because you know I consider Saturn the ruler of Aquarius. Yes, and yeah. so you know so the the distortion of that it, so it's kind of like Saturn is backing up Pluto or how Pluto and Aquarius gets expressed depends on how we do Saturn in Pisces. So the the unconscious expression would be that that kind of collapsing into unconsciousness and just unconsciously going along right Pisces is about going with the flow but there's going with the divine flow and going with my individual you know where I'm being guided where I'm being called moment to moment flowing with you know my my soul's intention kind of flow and there's the sort of collapsing into helplessness and just like being carried along or drowning in wherever the collective is going and drowning in the these illusory um, images of future destruction, et cetera, and just getting sort of drowned, our, our own individual imagination being drowned out by what we're being bombarded with collectively. Um, but I want to I want to come back to that theme of individuality and relate it back to this eclipse season, because what was so interesting in the first eclipse of the season, which was a solar eclipse in Aries on April 20th, this happened at the very, very end of Aries, the 29th degree, the last degree of Aries, and formed a square to Pluto in Aquarius. So whereas Aries and Aquarius are naturally harmonious signs, they naturally get along with each other. Aquarius, the individual, um, uh, uh, wait, Aries, the individual, Aquarius, the collective, right? Um, but, but this this eclipse formed a square between the sun and moon in Aries and um, Pluto in Aquarius. So I think that this test or this challenge of being ourselves and, and what Aries is about the individual, it's about who am I, but I think the essence of Aries is our life force, 
Yeah. It's that, right. It's our, our essential fire. It's Eros. It's what gets us, gets us out of bed in the morning. What inspires us, what fires us up, what makes us passionate, what, what brings us alive. And to me, this eclipse was so much about the importance of bringing our aliveness to the collective, like what the collective needs most is each of us lit up and on fire and in our passion and having the courage to be who we are and show up to contribute our totally unique gifts to the collective versus who do you need me to be now? Well, okay, I'm not really excited about that, but uh, I could make money doing that or people will like me if I contort myself into this other thing. But then we're, then we're zombies. We don't need more zombies. It reminds me, the opening quote I've been using and when I talk about the time of transition and, and this period that we're in is a quote from the founder of Human Design. And he says, he says essentially, you can't, you can't trust the authorities around you anymore, so stop. But then there's this whole, um, this whole thinking around that particular quote that we're in this period of transition from a time when we're more geared towards fitting into the collective and responding to outer um, sources about who we should be, what we should do, how we should be, all of that. And this transition that we're in is saying, no, that's over, that's done. We don't even have agreement on how the world operates out there. So how can we look out there for any of our guidance for who we are and how to be and what to do? And so now we're in this transition to where our, basically our guidance has to come from within. And Pluto and Aquarius, I think, has a lot to say about that, breaking down the group think and the, the hive mind and the, you know, Pluto breaks down what's not useful anymore and all these ways that we've been I mean, from at least in our culture, from the time we're infants, we're taught how to fit in rather than how to be who we are. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think you're right. This eclipse, this last week's eclipse was a uh, like the the starting gun on this next few years period where that's our assignment is to to really own our own destiny, our own karma, our own dharma. And that means being who we are in a big way, right? Mm -hmm. Not in a little way, in a big way. And the last thing I had to say about that is that Saturn in Pisces, it's like own your dreams. You you probably went to Kasha Urbaniak's free calls. She did a couple of free workshops in the last few weeks. And the one that, that I found so potent, her sales email said, the quest led with the question, how good are you willing to have it? That could be a Saturn and Pisces watch phrase, right? How good are you willing to have it? Well, I think that's very um, Taurus as well. I think that's yep. very North Node yep. in Taurus, Uranus in Taurus, and this Mercury retrograde we now have in Taurus, um, because Taurus is all yeah. about the good life. You know, yes, Pisces is the dream and Pisces and Taurus naturally harmonize with each other as they and Saturn and Pisces was in an exact sextile, exact angle of harmony with the North Node in Taurus at the first eclipse. Um, but this sense of, uh, I mean, I think this just brings in the whole worthiness piece. Do yeah. I deserve, right? Do I deserve to have a good life? And look at everyone else who's suffering. How, how can I have a good life when there's so much suffering? 
Um, and actually, I feel like that's part of like just maybe to shift into the the second eclipse, which is coming up, which is a real doozy, people. <laughs> this is this is. I mean, you know, eclipses are always big emotional. You know, stir up what's been hidden, what's been submerged in the subconscious. But the the lunar eclipse that that's coming up on May fifth, and this is a uh, um, an especially powerful full moon. So that always, you know, is big emotionally, but this is in Scorpio and it's a south node eclipse. And there's a lot that's being purged from the past. And, you know, Mars is very powerful this whole eclipse season because Mars rules both Aries and Scorpio. And Mars is now in Cancer, which is the sign of family and family past and early childhood experiences and also ancestors. And I just feel like there's something about really clearing these ancestral programs around um, worthiness, havingness, self-love, how good can we have it? And this kind of like clearing of these old emotional hooks, um, maybe from our family, again, maybe going back to ancestors um, in terms of like, like feeling guilt if I have it better than my parents or if I have it better than you know, my, my grandparents or whatever, like, like really getting, and, and uh, Kasha did that wonderful exercise and maybe you were there for it with, yeah. with all of our ancestors standing behind us or in front of us, but, but how we're the ones who are, who are in bodies now. So we can actually heal our ancestors. I'm, I'm not saying exactly what Kasha said, but this this is part of my takeaway. Like we can actually do ancestral healing by living our best life. And we have opportunities that our ancestors didn't have, you know, the ones who lived through the depression, who lived through world wars or were rounded up and put in camps or starved to death or whatever, right? We're, we're in a different um, time now where we have a lot more opportunities and maybe especially as women, right? Opportunities that our female ancestors didn't have. So we honor our ancestors by having a good life, by manifesting Taurus, more beauty, more abundance, more love versus like, you know, I don't know, no one in my family ever had this and therefore I don't deserve it. Or I'd be like, what, betraying them if I, if I live a better life, right? So there's a big clearing of those old you know, and this isn't just ancestral. I mean, this is also childhood, right? All the what we are conditioned with around how much we're allowed to have, how much pleasure we're allowed to have, how much fulfillment we can have, and all of that needs to be cleared. All of that, the Scorpio end of things, needs to be cleared so that we can move more into the the Taurus end of things. And and again, Scorpio also having to do with trauma. And I think this is also stirring up a lot of early childhood trauma. Um, that is ready to come to the surface to be healed and cleared. Yeah, and actually, I love that you brought in the Mercury retrograde in Taurus, specifically in Taurus, right? I mean, I always find it so, one one of my clients always says poetic. I mean, it's very poetic how these things happen. You know, all these things happen sort of in this particular um, order. And so we've been, we're at the end of this Taurus-Scorpio eclipse axis, and now we've got Mercury retrograde in Taurus about all of these things you're talking about. And it seems to me, and I know this is, I know this is, well, I mean, I, I should just say everything I say seems her heretical some days. This is a little bit heretical from some of the mainstream thinking is that 
one of the stories that we kind of unravel through this Mercury retrograde in Taurus is that we don't live on an abundant earth. We yes. live on an abundant earth. We live yes. in an abundant world and we ourselves are incredibly abundant. It's just that we've been taught to limit and contain. And then we have this scarcity story around everything that the earth provides, but it's not actually scarce. It's only in how we manage it and how we relate to the earth. And that comes a lot to how we relate with our bodies and it comes to how we relate with ourselves. Yes. And you know, the other thing I think is so again, poetic is here we have the North node moving from Taurus to Aries. So from the sign of physical material wealth and then into the sign of being right being and being a person being an individual and I, I think um this whole worthiness question it, it's almost like this is the answer to it is that if you exist you are worthy there's no mistake in you being here now and there's no mistake in you existing and so it's almost as if who, who are you not to be who you came here to be, right? Mm -hmm. Who are you not to do what you came here to do? And I, I think, again, that Pluto and Aquarius, which, you know, one of the, one of my favorite descriptive words of Aquarius is authenticity. And then um, squaring that, that new moon, that solar eclipse at the very end, the tail end of Aries, you know, the 29th. And not only that, the second um, uh, second new moon in Aries, um, the first eclipse, but the second new moon, it's like authenticity meets uh, own yourself, own your right to exist, own your, your, um, your worth by virtue of being here. Mm -hmm. Oh, and yes. one, okay, so, sorry, one more thing. I know this is a lot, but it also brought up in thinking about this seven year period of transition from 2020 to 26 ish, the, the, the kickoff of the new age, if you will, in my mind is the Saturn Neptune conjunction. And what's so interesting about the planet of reality, meaning the, meeting the planet of dreams and higher consciousness and imagination is that they travel together through Pisces, but they don't actually meet up until they get into Aries. Mm -hmm. So again, it's like, it's this reinforcing this message of it's time to be yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. Here, here, <laughs> here, here. I just want to, there's so much in what you just said, so much wisdom as always. And I just want to add in terms of that, um, you brought up a lot of good points about Mercury retrograde and Taurus and what we're, you know, and, and, the, and the gift of Mercury retrograde being able to see things from a different perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, um, let's add money in there in terms of, you know, how we do anything totally. is how we do everything, right? And our relationship with money um, and how that ties in with worthiness and also, you know, there's a lot here about really living our values with yeah. the North Node in Taurus and Mercury and Uranus and now the Sun also in Taurus. Like, are we really, you know, that Taurus, um, I don't even like to think of Taurus as the bull anymore. It's just the cow. Come on. Um, cows have horns, too, when they don't uh, when they don't get hacked off by evil people. Because um, it's a feminine energy, but that sense of really like standing strong 
in our like being rooted and grounded in our values and what we love and not not budging from that like being you know super super powerful in our commitment to what we value and how we value ourselves right but something i want to bring up about um aries and taurus because those are the first two signs those are also the signs of survival and this is where you know and and as someone with um, a Taurus moon, like Taurus can be really good at just, just getting by, mm -hmm. you know, like, just like, like Taurus is very resourceful, like just having enough, just scraping by, just, you know, that's one expression, just surviving, you know, and Aries too can be about like, you know, who's about to attack me. I got to be like in, in more of that, like intense survival mode, like fight, flight, warrior, burr. You know, so that's part of the shadow or the distortion of Aries and Taurus and something to kind of be aware of as we have these strong, you know, Aries Taurus energies with the eclipses and with um, the nodes that we don't we want to go beyond survival mode. We don't just want to get by um, with Taurus. We want to really go into that state of overflowing abundance. And with Aries, we don't want to just be on alert for what danger is coming at me now, but we want to be in our um, passion and fire and that kind of higher expression of the spiritual warrior that we're so on fire with what it is that, you know, with our mission and our purpose and our passion, right? The sun is exalted in Aries. So the sun, the light of consciousness and our sense of purpose and our creativity, right? These are, right? So we wanted, we don't want to just be like responding and reacting. We want to be um, empowered and creating and knowing our power as creators, which I think both Aries and Taurus are very powerful creative energies. Yeah, and actually that that makes me think about Uranus because one of the when I think about that, you know, that that question from Kasha about how good are you willing to have it? I think too about this coach I've been working with for the last year. One of his points, you know, when you're in doing what we do, you know, selling something in our business is saying is is asking how are you making yourself available for more mm -hmm. and and it's it's i mean it reminds me of saturn and pisces but this uranus right is very much uh sort of breaking the old stories breaking out it's a breakout kind of of energy and it and it's a sudden breakout and it also has to do with sort of higher perspective and higher energies as the first transpersonal planet and again, it's 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 as if we we have to find a way to kind of see through our our matrix, our programming that says the world is a certain way. We live in a world of limited resources. Uh, we need to deserve it in order to have it. Uh, we need to earn it in order to have it. I mean, there's all this programming that's gone into us since we were little. Um, and before, right, several thousand years before. And there's a way that we have to feel what's outside of that matrix, what's outside of that programming. Um, it's almost as if it's here right now in a, I hate to use the word dimension because I don't really even get what all the dimensions are about, but it's almost as if it's here right now. We're in a golden age, but we can't see it because we've been programmed not to see it. And so there's a way that, and I think this is again, a Pluto and Aquarius, you know, this collective energy, it's an energy sign. How do we, how do we make ourselves available to sensing this 
heaven on earth, this golden age that's already here, instead of only seeing the matrix that has been in front of us our our entire lives. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that's really exciting about Pluto and Aquarius. Just like, I think this is a, a massive like mind mind blow happening and that, you know, we're gonna have 20 years of this, 20 years of mind blown and just really um, going beyond a lot of our old limited um, concepts. And what you were just saying makes me think about how Jupiter's about to move into Taurus and the first thing that will happen will be this square with Pluto. So Jupiter and Taurus, so much about natural wisdom and natural abundance and really, you know, appreciating the the beauty and abundance and um, just all the gifts of nature in the natural world, right? In this square to Pluto, where it's like, yeah, it's just a it's just a mind shift to be able to step into that abundant state. And it requires, I mean, there's something you know, Pluto, like you mentioned in the beginning, Pluto is about fear, right? And the even terror <laughs> um, yeah. because it's, you know, death. And the more death. so it's like having to face the, what can possibly, what, what can be scary when we shed all of our understanding or concepts or beliefs or stories about how we thought the world worked, how we thought we, you know, what we thought humanity was, like all of that, we're, we we got to be open to releasing all of that. And I think something that's important too, in terms of Pluto and Aquarius, um, something you were talking about also made me think of this, but how Aquarius is the divine mind mm. and, the, and the kind of distortion is the hive mind and getting caught up in these, you know, sort of human made or whatever entity made programs versus like expanding into the mind of God, goddess, or, you know, this divine mind. And so there's something too about opening ourselves to information that's coming in through the signs and symbols and synchronicities. Because I think with with Pluto in Capricorn, and of course we'll get we'll get more of that. We're not quite done with Capricorn, but transitioning out of it, Capricorn's a hermit sign, and it's and it's so much about the, you know Pluto evolving soul's evolution through being in in hermitude being in, in our solitude and going deep within ourselves, right? Where Pluto and Aquarius is more like, okay, we can evolve by really tending to how is how is the divine speaking to me through these, you know, through how the birds are flying through the sky or, right? All these um, signs and omens and synchronicities and being open to um, receiving wisdom and knowing and guidance at that level. Yeah, and I don't remember who it was that said it. It might even, I don't think it was at the Aquarian High Council, your, the summit that you did, but there's somebody who talks about one of the potentials of Pluto and Aquarius that they're hoping for is interspecies communication. Mm -hmm. And if you think about Capricorn, right, the earth sign, so it's a very tactile communication. Feet on the earth. We heard a lot about earthing the last few years, you know, get your feet on the earth. And all of that is good, right? Getting yourself in physical contact with nature. But with Pluto and Aquarius, um, it's like, how do we communicate with nature in an even bigger way and maybe even an energetic way? And yes, signs and synchronicities, but also just more. And again, it goes to the blinders that we have put on that we don't believe we can talk to a tree, so we don't. 
or we don't believe we can talk to a bird, so we don't. But it, it, what if we let go of the idea that we can't and then just see what happens? Yeah, but, I think that's another beautiful Jupiter in Taurus. Yes. Square yeah. Pluto and Aquarius potential. Yeah, it made me think of a story, but now I uh, can't remember what the... I can't remember the story. It, it might come back, but it was about this idea of, you know, communicating with what's out there, you know, and, and out there, which is also reflected in here, right? It's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Aquarius being the sign of we're all connected and, you know, where Pisces is also about that, but Pisces as the water sign is the, the felt connection. I yeah. feel that I'm connected with that all life, but Aquarius is like, I know it. I, I get it. I understand we're, we're all part of this web of interconnection. And um, there's something I was going to say that totally left. Oh, and I think there's something with that that square from Pluto and Aquarius to the North Node in Taurus and then Jupiter in Taurus that's coming in where um, it's like slowing down enough. Yes. To, uh, and what you were saying about talking to a tree, I had a revelation um many years ago on acid um, that you have to slow way down to talk, to hear, to listen to a tree, you yeah. know? But I think that's true of nature in general. Like you, like we have to, like Taurus is about moving slowly, like slowly enough to be able to sense in our bodies what's happening where Aquarius is, is a speedy sign. So I feel like there's something with that Taurus Aquarius interplay of like slowing down to speed up or slowing down in order to get that um, communication, that higher level of communication, but having to be very, not just moving slowly, but really, you know, being in touch with our bodies. I mean, and I think that that requires some slowing down too, or even stillness or silence. Those are also Taurus, you know, benefits. And with both, you know, for now with the North Node in Taurus and then Jupiter, I mean, those are both considered like um, very beneficial energy so this is saying like Taurus is a place to really lean into so we want to be like the you know like right. the cow in the field feeling the sun on our backs and chewing on our cud and <laughs> just enjoying you know enjoying the um the moment being really present in the moment uh, again just thinking about Aquarius as a sign of the future part of the shadow there is living in the future and missing out on the here and now which is our place of power and I think there's a lot in the media, also ruled by Aquarius, the mass media that takes us out of the present moment and gets us all caught up in future freak out. And then we, we have no power. Our power is in the body and in the present moment. Right. Yeah. And I think embodiment, I mean, we almost, we can't finish today without talking some about embodiment because for one thing, one of the understandings I've been coming more into with the lunar nodes is that they are where the spiritual and the material meet. Right. It's where the energies are of, of kind of sky and earth meet in a lot of ways. And so they're like paths to embodiment, embodiment of spirituality. So that's one way to think about the eclipses is highlighting how do we integrate these polarities of out there in here. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I've been playing with a lot with with clients and with myself is this um, like coming, really coming home, deeply coming home in stillness and quiet, even if it's just for a moment to like my base state, who am I underneath all the, the thoughts and the emotions and the physical sensations, there's still a sense of me 
in here. And it's more, it almost feels like the subtle energetic frequency that is uniquely mine. Mm. And it, 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 it comes through the body, right? It's, it's how we find access to the soul and to our wisdom. And what I call our natural wisdom is through the body. And yeah, with Pluto and Aquarius, the shadow part is what we're doing right now, right? We're all on computers alone in our homes and we're more connected through this, um, this medium that over time, the next 20 years, we'll know less and less and less and less what is real unless we feel it in our bodies. Yeah. And, and that's the, I mean, the, besides this owning yourself and owning your, you know, your right to exist and your, your right to an abundant life and to seeing it, there's also this um, owning being here in the body, because it's the only way you're going to know the truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's, yeah, one of the big shadows of our digital age. But, you know, this this technology that we're utilizing in the moment, just reminding us of our own inherent technology, like you were saying before, interspecies communication or being able to just, you know, send you a message in Montana through the the um, airwaves, you know, through our minds. And I think if we were in our natural state of humanness, we could do that. And I think that's where Pluto and Aquarius wants to take us again, waking up to our natural technology, all of this zoom stuff. And, you know, that, that is a, a reflection and reminder of what we can naturally do and what we used to be able to do and where I think Pluto and Aquarius wants to take us back to. Yeah. I do love that term inherent technology. Uh, I, I just love that uh, the way you you use that term because it is it's innate right we have we have the most incredible equipment if you want to use that word you know um we we each have the most incredible equipment that exists on the face of the planet but we just don't we've forgotten how to how to honor it let alone be with it and and i don't like to say use it except unless we can think of that in a non-exploitative way and that's you know, our, I, sorry, I'm going to go off on one tangent. That's one of the episodes I did recently was about power and control in relationship to the body, because I think the fundamental flaw in th that creates the whole matrix is this idea that the soul and the body are separate. And mm -hmm. I, I probably say this every episode, and I may continue to say it every episode, that if we can understand and feel and sense that the soul is the body, it's the it's the physical expression of the soul, mm -hmm. then that changes everything. Then that mm -hmm. changes everything in terms of how we um, how we go into this whole transhumanist, you know, our relationship with technology, how we go into our relationship with nature. If I'm a soul. Uh, and, you know, a physical soul walking around and meeting a physical soul in a tree or a bear or a lion or what, you know, those are the things I meet out in the woods. Um, it's it, then you respond very differently than if you think you're a soul contained in a body. And yeah, a whole lot of things change and it would be a concept for people to play with and, and sort of contemplate. Well, and I think because of trauma and because most people are operating from a very traumatized state their okay. soul got out of the body 
right? There is that dissociation. Or they think so. They think think so. Yeah. But there's that dissociation of not not really being embodied. And I think that's, you know, that's our whole trajectory in order to come into our power as humans is to anchor all of us here, here and now. Yeah. And that makes me think about, you know, Uranus and Taurus, Mercury retrograde in Taurus, and then Jupiter coming into Taurus. There's this And I mean, I work with a lot of people that don't feel safe in their bodies. And that's kind of where that's the first place to start, right? That's the first place to come home to is to feeling safe in the physical existence and, and kind of doing what it takes to get there. And a lot of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot I could say about that. And of course I've, I've talked about birth trauma on the show in the past, um, because the way we set up birth in this country, in this culture, not just our country, but this culture, and not, not everybody experiences this, but getting born in a hospital, separated from your mother, taken away and weighed and measured and poked and prodded and slapped and you know all those things, it breaks your connection with nature and your body as you're born. That's how you Absolutely. get imprinted. Yeah. And that boy, if we can, maybe that's another, um, another theme of the nodes, Aries, Libra, you know, with the North node and Aries is healing birth trauma. And, and you can look back through the episodes here and find my talk with Charlotte Kanye, who's brilliant at that. Well, and I think these are great themes too, with Mars in cancer as the ruler of this eclipse season, since cancer is, you know, the sign of um, motherhood and safety and security, our earliest experiences of feeling safe and secure. And so really like the opportunity to do some very significant healing around that so that we can come more into our bodies. Um, something I was thinking about around technology, I just think it's so weird that so much energy, so much money, so much energy, so much brain power is put into creating machines to be like humans. And I, it just occurred to me, like, what if we, what if all of that, you know, intent and energy and money and time were instead spent on, like, just becoming more and more incredible as the humans we are? Like, like, what is this obsession with creating machines that are like humans? Like, we already have the humans. We could just, we could be better and better and better and better and healthier and more powerful and more creative and more amazing humans, right? Why, why isn't energy being put into that? Yeah, that's a, I think that would be a fun conversation to have, um, like in a whole episode, because, you know, I used to work in the manufacturing world and I, in the wood products manufacturing world, and I was there when the first robots started coming in and there was good reason, although it had its pros and cons, right? It had it, it's the, the good thing was getting somebody out of a sort of a deadly, painful, repetitive job. The bad thing was you were trying to replace the incredible perceptiveness of a human um, with a machine that just had scanners and computers in it. And, and it's very, it, it's like we've created a machine world and now we need machines to run it, right? Which is what all the dystopian futures look like. <laughs> right. And I mean, if if we weren't trying to um, uh, mass manufacture a bunch of crap, then we then jobs would not be repetitive and boring. It would be the artisans and the craftspeople who are create, you know, who are making the 
new, you know, cabinets or dining room table or toys for the kids or whatever versus like this mass produced crapola that can be made by a machine, you know? So it's like, like this whole uh, paradigm of what the world is and because it, the world is less and less um, conducive to humanity and to people with, you know, feelings and people with bodies <laughs> or, you know, to, to human bodies and human uh, humanity, um, then we need to create, it just seems like such a backwards or, I mean, well, everything is it upside down. It it is, and actually, what it what the words you know the 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 other thing that theme that came to me as you were talking is that really what it is about is the concentration of power or the centralization of power. Like you know, if you work in a gigantic plywood plant that's churning out you know tons and tons and tons of plywood, it makes sense to put in robots. I mean, in a certain way, right? But if you're creating houses from local materials in a much more local way and you have more power at the local level then you don't need the robots and the and the and the mass production and again this is like a whole another topic but and I don't know how this happens or if this is part of Pluto and Aquarius or the ending of Pluto and Capricorn but it's driven by our economic system mm -hmm. you know it, if you're a public company or even if you are trying to follow generally, generally accepted accounting principles, you have to go that way. And that it sort of drives a lot of this bad behavior. Well, and this is really the distortion of Taurus, right? Where, you know, uh, since yeah. Taurus is the sign of money, Financial but then system. it becomes like money's the bottom line versus yeah. life is the bottom line. More aliveness is the bottom line. Uh, what we, our values are the bottom line right? The earth is the bottom line. Valuing the earth is right. the bottom line, right? And I think all this Taurus energy is about um, or is calling us towards simplifying um, quality versus quantity, right? right? Like, yeah, like, yeah, I'm going to pay more because I want the, the sweater that was, you know, uh, made with organic cotton and fair trade. And I don't want a sweatshop, you know, I don't want to pay 10 bucks to get the sweatshop sweater made by slaves in China, that's covered in pesticides, right? I'm, I'm, you know, Taurus goes for the quality. I mean, high vibe Taurus goes for the quality and also like what went into, you know, that that matter holds energy, right? Like it's not a neutral situation that I'm, I'm wearing the sweatshop sweater. I'm not, this is fair trade organic, thank you very much. But um, <laughs> right, it's like that that matters and that, that comes through the matter, you know? Yeah. So when I'm, Right when I, when your house is filled with mass-produced, cheapo, slave-created stuff, that has consequences. And that's part of the poverty matrix, right? I have to buy the cheapest thing possible, and that's part of the poverty matrix that we're again we get stuck in. And you know the the thinking about this whole economic system and finance is so much of what's wrong. And again, what's driving so much of this bad behavior is how we measure. Mm -hmm. You know, if you measure this, like you measure this particular thing, but you don't measure the cost to the earth, or, and of course, we don't even know how to measure people's well-being. You know, we think it's all based on money. And of course, it's not. Mm -hmm. It's just that that's, again, that's part of the matrix, right? Is you look at your bank account to decide how you're doing. And, you know, hello, me, that's like one of my things that I 
been working through for years now. You look at your bank account to see how you're doing and it's how you've measured it. Um, and that that's what drives a lot of this behavior. And, and yeah, and it's part of that scarcity mentality. And yeah, again, I, maybe I need an economist to come on and talk to me, <laughs> get Charles Eisenstein on here sometime. Indeed. Yeah. And, and, and you've got time because this is, I think these are all very big Uranus and Taurus themes and breaking out of the, the old, um, the old paradigms around money and stuff, right? Taurus is our stuff, our possessions. Um, and I think Uranus wanting us to wake up to the, the energetics of the stuff and also to um, coming back into alignment with our core values and with valuing the earth and valuing our bodies. That even just the whole question of the energy of your stuff, you know, where did it come from? Who made it? And, you know, yeah, just spending a moment to honor, like even this computer that we're, each of us is on a computer or a phone or something, all the incredible ingenuity and then all the stuff that went into it and all the labor that went into it and the lithium from heaven knows where and, you know, who, who knows how it was mined. I mean, every single one of us can at least take a moment to honor that, respect that, and then mm -hmm. make choices around that and without trying to drop out of a system that we're all part of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah do you want to say anything else about the the scorpio full moon coming up i mean we were the lunar eclipse because we've we've talked about a lot of the themes but um get... yeah well uh, well I, I do just want to mention that this is the last in a series of scorpio eclipses and so, you know, to think about this as a kind of grand finale around yeah. themes that we've been working with, um, the, the first Scorpio eclipse was in May of 2022. And then the second one was in October of 2022. And then May 5th will be the third and final one. So to kind of see if you can, you know, especially if you know, you know, the which house in your chart has been activated, where you have Scorpio in your birth chart, because this eclipse coming up is is in a sense a um, a culmination or a, a completion of a theme that we've been working with um, yeah for about the past year since that first Scorpio eclipse um, and it's right it, in the middle it's right in the middle right opposite the Beltane point right right yeah coincides with Beltane and it's opposite Uranus so this is also the big liberation. This is and 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 to say too that you know eclipses already have a Uranian feeling to them, and by Uranian feeling I mean things coming in from out of the blue and highly synchronistic and weird things happening, even shocking events happening. Often in the collective, there can be some dramatic reveals. You know, part of what Uranus is about is the truth coming out, and that's that's an eclipse scene. So. The fact that Uranus is super active at this eclipse, you know, cranks up the volume on this quality of, um, you know, expect the unexpected and things being shocking or dramatic. And so very important <laughs> to, um, I think that the, the higher potential here is a, you know, very profound, very dramatic separation and liberation from the past and and particularly again how we get sucked into destructive patterns whether that's you know well self-destructive patterns let's say and places where we feel powerless 
you know, south node in Scorpio. And remembering that the south node represents illusion. <laughs> so this is where we get caught up in the illusion of it's all going to hell and life is shit and nothing good can ever happen. And that's an illusion. And I think Uranus opposite that that Scorpio energy is really like calling for this breakthrough and this quantum leap. I mean, that's part of Uranian energy also and part of eclipse energy too, that it can be a time of, you know, where we're catalyzed into a, you know, total break with an old way and a quantum leap, a, you know, um, just a, being catapulted into this whole new level of reality. So there, there, that's the big potential here. So it's like the willingness to really identify what's dragging me down, what's pulling me back into self-sabotage and self-destruction, you know, what's not serving me, what's, what's stagnant, what's, you know, I mean, thinking about this whole cycle, right, this cycle started with that Aries solar eclipse. So this all comes back to Aries, what's really alive for me? What's going to light me up? What am I most passionate about? What, um, having the courage to, to be our most authentic selves, our most lit up selves. So then this lunar eclipse is, okay, <laughs> what do I need to, what needs to be dumped? What needs to be purged? What needs, what needs to be flushed? What needs to be composted in order to free up the energy for this big, you know, new cycle of aliveness and authenticity. And yeah, and, and again, we'll be working with this Aries energy for the next year and a half or so as we get the Aries eclipses in the North Node in Aries. This is just our opening, you know, gate opening into that new territory. Yeah, and I, I can't help but think about the connection between life and death, right? If you're not fully, fully living your life because you're afraid of death, then you're you're dead while you're alive, right? Or and as Bob Dylan said, Bob Dylan, who is born with both Jupiter and Uranus in Taurus, I've been doing some research, who said, those not busy being born are busy dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. That feels like the right place to kind of wrap up for today. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not busy being born, you're busy dying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, yeah, let's finish that up. And thank you so much, Emily. This was a fun, fun, fun conversation. I think we could have gone off on a lot of rabbit holes for a lot longer. We'll have, we'll, we'll go down more rabbit holes in the future. Yes. And I, sure. I want to remind everybody that Emily has a class on relationship astrology starting this Friday. It's a four week series plus um, May, what day did you say? May 14, 15th, May 16th, the day that Jupiter goes into Taurus, I'll be doing a class all about that. Yep. And then uh, on the 5th, which is the day of the eclipse, I chose the day of the eclipse. Um, I'll be teaching about the nodes and the eclipse season and kind of the, how they relate to this big shift that we're all in this over this seven year period. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, thank you again. I'm so glad you were here and this was a lot of fun. Let's not let it be quite so long between now and the next time. Definitely. My pleasure. Thank you, Christine.